I'm like, oh, there we go. Well, just as they're walking away, for, for the community, for those that are online, for the friends and family that, have, that are here with Sean and Ann, we all have a responsibility as well. You know, as they dedicate their son to the Lord and say that they're going to raise him in God's ways, as a community, we're there to help. So it isn't just them doing it in front of the community. They can dedicate God, their, their son to God all by themselves at home because it's between them and God. But they do it here in front of us as a community to make a declaration here and as a community for us to say, hey, we're in on this as well. You know, that we are as much a part of the process of helping them raise Isaiah in God's ways as they are in dedicating their son. And so for, for us, I just as a reminder for us as a community and for the family that's, that's here with them today, friends, welcome. It's great to have you with us today and uh, just encourage you in your role that you play in this little one's life. So guys, thank you for the privilege of being able to stand with you this morning and uh, as you dedicated him. Well, I'm just going to grab my uh, iPad it is great to uh, be here this morning. I'm sorry that I am a little late this morning. It's because, well, frankly, I was preparing the wrong thing, and then for the last few days, and then God changed it all this morning, because I guess I just wasn't listening. And uh, just to be honest and to be fair, and so I really, I struggled for the last couple of days to be able to, like, it just is not coming together. I cannot get the thing to come together. And then this morning, God's like, because I want you to talk on this. And so I was scrambling, putting some of these things together this morning for us. We've been talking for the last little bit on, on being with God, on the importance of us living a life with God and that posture of being with them. So the last couple of weeks, I've spoken on anxiety and, and, and the reality of this world of fear that we live in, and that we can have anxiety as a, a condition, but most of us live with anxiety and fear in different ways. And it's interesting, because really what religion, quote-unquote, is a desire for control. Now, I'm not talking about relationship with Jesus, right? But religion by its very nature, whether it's the Christian religion, Muslim, whatever it, religion it is, it's ultimately this thing of us wanting to be in control and having systems in place to have control, so that we can feel like we've got some control of our lives and what's going on with God. And I'm going to speak this morning on four ways that we do this that are, that are very common they're preached, they're practiced in, in our modern world today. They've been practiced from the time of Jesus and even before. But none of them are actually the way that Jesus taught us to live. And it's so important. I think God is highlighting these for us today that we would be able to identify these things so that, so that we would be in a position where we can truly understand what life with God is. Because if we're going to live life with God, we need to be able to identify when we're not living life with Him. So the first, these, the first one I'm going to talk about today is us living life under God. Under God. Now, this is characterized by us trying to seek control of God through strict adherence to rituals and absolute obedience to moral codes. You know, we see it, right? You see it in all kinds of different religions, see it in Christian religion. Anytime you have someone that's going to tell you you're reading the wrong Bible, there's only one correct translation, that we've got to obey all these different things, 
in it, and if there's, you know, we've got to make sure that we're adhering exactly to the way that God wants us to be, that is life under God. It's been perpetuated through Christian history, through things like crusades, through Christians killing one another, you know, over baptism, and throughout Christian history, we've seen this absolute thing of control. In Jesus's time, life under God was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was, hey, follow these rules and rituals, and you'll be fine with God. You can totally control how your, your you know, relationship with God. Just follow the rules that he's given you. Follow these commands. Everything's going to be okay with you. And you know what? If you are rich and blessed, you are blessed. If you are following those rules, the mark of that is your health and your, your, your riches, and you are okay. You know, for that Pharisee who we've read about in, or Jesus spoke about, you know, that was standing there going, hey, God, I'm just so thankful that I'm not a sinner like one of these people. It's because they were like, hey, we're blessed. We're living life under God. We've got, we've got God, you know, we know what it is we're supposed to do, and we do it, and we do it perfectly. And because of that, God blesses us. That is life under God. It doesn't require relationship. It just requires adherence to rules. You know, following strict formulas, simple formulas, moral codes. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, actually. It's the opposite of what Jesus did. He, he stood against that form of religion. He came and said, that this is not the way. The people that Jesus was strongest with, that he, was the, he, he had the strongest words for, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, this life under God way of behaving is still just, it's about us being in control. If we pray enough, if we worship enough, if we give financially enough, if we abstain from morality, then he will, you know, our lives will be blessed. You know, and to... In modern Christianity, in order to get people to behave this way, we bring up the testimonies that back up that behavior. Let me testify to how when I God on this, this is how he moved and blessed my life. And if you will just follow this same rule, then your life will be blessed too. Problem is it so often doesn't work, right? We do the right thing and then we find ourselves not blessed or not blessed the way that we think it is, or we're not think those, those rules don't measure up, or we just can't obey them all. You know, like the Orthodox Jews that today in Israel, they try, they have, they, they're like, to follow all the commands we've got to follow, we can't actually participate in society. This is a very true thing in Israel. There's a group, a particular sect of Judaism, where they don't work, they don't participate in any of the things of the society, because they're so busy trying to adhere to all the laws that it takes all their time. And they actually, you know, have a special fund that supports these people because they think, well, this is an important thing about us being blessed. And there's something wrong with that. Faith that gets reduced to dogmatism, adherence to strict moral codes and the enforcement of boundaries and rules. What happens when we have this is that religious leaders get turned into police officers. Right? We, it's just about... about uh, this, this, isn't, this isn't working for us, is it? Okay. I just don't want my hands... I can't seem to talk properly without my hands being able to move. So... And I'm, uh, thank you so much. Whoa. 
how far can we sh shove it in my eye? There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. You haven't positioned it quite properly. You won't be blessed. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to drop it a little bit. Thank you so much for your help with this. I so appreciate it, Jansen. I was going to put it like that. If that works, awesome. There we go. There we go. Ah, good. You can still hear me. I'm going to position it like this as best as I possibly can so I can see my notes and you can hear what I'm saying. And I can use my hands. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, so, so clergy just become police officers. We see this in Afghanistan today, right? An absolute like, practical application of this strict adherence to moral codes is the Taliban in Afghanistan. Right? So the, the religious leaders or the police officers of the society say, well, you've got to behave this way. And if you don't do it, then we're going to arrest you. We're going to punish you. But this is throughout Christian history. This isn't something we can look at Muslims and go, oh, well, look at how they're doing things. But actually, anyone that follows this form of religion, whether they're Christian, whether they're Muslim, whatever, th this is what it gets reduced to. And you see it, right? You'll see it. You'll see the preachers on TV that do this. You see, it, it, there's so many Christian groups that follow this view of God. If we're honest with ourselves, there's elements where we follow this view of God. It is on an individual level. I know at times that this has been. I've been in churches where this was the reality. I was under in a church where this is how we followed God. It was like, oh, you're, you know, if you don't do this, you are a curse on this church. And that's the problem, right? With this type of thinking, actually, then it becomes about policing everybody's behavior. Because if you're part of my group and you don't behave the right way, then you could threaten the blessing of our group. So we've either got to kick you out or force your conformity. Because that's what's going to bring blessing. It's this type of thinking that gets people to stand up after the 9-11 attacks, Christians in the United States, saying, well, this is God bringing his punishment on our nation because of our sin. And if we could just get rid of these different sins from our nation, then we'll be blessed again. It's the thing that gets us to support political leaders in that they're going to, you know, make our country great again by bringing in certain laws that we think are the ones that are going to get God's blessing. And if we'll pass those laws, then God will bless our nation. It's a completely wrong understanding of relationship with God. It's devoid of relationship entirely, actually. It's a way of seeing God as is actually quite distant out there as this dictator, really. It's like, well, if you, get, if you can check off all the boxes, then you'll get my blessing. It is not the view of God presented by Jesus. It is not at all what Jesus represented. Fixating on, on rituals and behaviors, following these simple formulas, is not relationship with Jesus. In a debate on the merits of religion between Tony Blair, former uh, British Prime Minister, and Christopher Hitchens, a very well-known atheist debater, and, and Tony Blair was a committed Roman Catholic, he said, it's good for the world to... Christopher Hitchens asked, is it good for the world to worship a deity that takes sides in wars and human affairs? 
to appeal to our fear and to our guilt. Is it good for the world? And Blair responded by noting how religion motivates many people towards good and charitable actions. He gave the Northern, he gave the Northern Ireland Peace Accord as an example. Christopher Hitchens pounced on that statement. He said, it's very touching for Tony to say that he recently went to a meeting to bridge the religious divide in Northern Ireland. But where does that religious divide come from? For 400 years, more in my own country of, uh, and more in my own country of birth, people killing each other's children depending on what kind of Christian they were. What he's speaking of is the, the, in Roman, in the Northern Ireland history where you literally Catholics and Protestants killed each other because they didn't belong to the right group. It's an oversimplification, but the reality of it. But this is, this is Christian history. European Christian history is people killing each other over right or wrong practice of following Jesus, quote-unquote. It's a huge problem. We do it today. Think about we may not pick up arms and kill each other. We may see ourselves as a little bit more civilized than that, but we attack each other. You, you don't do it the way that I think you should do it. Then there's life over God. And, and this is the reaction to the life under God. Well, you know, yeah, this life under God thing obviously doesn't work. So what's happened is society said, well, then let's just li live life over God. We want to be in control. You know, atheism is life over God. We don't need God. It's interesting that this, this way of thinking developed in a pandemic in 1666. It actually started with Isaac Newton. And he had to work at home in 1666 in London because of the Black Plague. And there was, you know, everyone was sent home kind of like COVID. People were all being isolated because everyone was dying because of this thing. And while he was there, an apple fell on his head or fell from a tree. And he started pondering, why does this happen? And he started this whole, his, his work in mathematics and physics started what we call the Enlightenment. And it was where we started. People had, up till 1666, the predominant way that people related to the world around them was that everything happened from a divine purpose. Whether it was the Christian God, the Hindu God, the Jewish God, the Muslim God, whatever God it was or whatever other thing that they were worshiping, things were random and they were happening. You did things to appease God in order to, to, to bring peace or weather or whatever, to win your war, whatever thing was, it was happening because some God was interfering. With the Enlightenment, we changed from a view that things were happening because of God or a God to, oh, everything's happening because of a principle. It's happening because of, we can, we can figure this out by science and by mathematical equations. And so now, from the Enlightenment forward, we've related to the world in this way. We've related to the world through science. It's not a bad, science in and of itself is not bad. But this way of life over God is saying, well, actually, things are not happening. There's no creator. It's happening because there's just these principles in place. So there's the, the atheist view. There's no creator at all. There's no God. And things are just happening, and we can control and understand through science the way the world works. But 
there's actually a, a Christian or form of this, which is Christian deism. And again, it's, it's that God's kind of out there. You know, it's not, he's, he's, he's put things in motion. And what he's done is he's put a bunch of math, uh, principles in place. And we just got to discover his principles. And then we, we can navigate life. And we can navigate the world by just following the principles that he's put out there. We need no relationship with him. We just need to follow his rules. So in this one, where it's not about getting everyone to conform because God's going to punish us if we don't all conform to a particular way of behavior, it's that now, it's like, well, look, if you just find, you know, the five good points of, to a great marriage, then everything will be right. If you just find the right biblical principles on, on finances and just follow those principles, then you are going to be wealthy and, and you will be blessed. We turn Jesus into a CEO or God into a CEO, and we relate to God through business principles or mathematical principles or scientific principles. It's a term we call Christian deism. And it's, it's this idea, yes, there is a deity, but I don't actually need a personal relationship with him. I'm quite fine as long as I can follow the right formula. It emphasizes principles that are predicated, predictable, and manageable, and that are comprehensive and clinical. Again, very common thing in Christianity today. You know, there's so many books on it. The people that this most appeals to are wealthy, professional, uh, people that are used to being able to control outcomes. It's us, right? Wealthy. Westerners are the ones that most put this forward. Some of the most popular churches today, this is what they're built on. Some of the most popular ministries. Every time we're buying a book that just promises us that if we just follow these steps or this formula or this prayer and everything is going to be okay, we've bought into Christian deism. We've bought into this idea. We get to be in control. We're in control, right? We get to, if I just follow this or if I just follow that, these five steps that this preacher told me I should follow, then everything's going to be amazing and great. If I say this prayer for this thing, that, you know, and if I, just, if I just believe the right thing and pray the right thing, everything's going to be good. What it is is a devoid of relationships. I don't actually need relationships. I just need to follow these principles. I don't need you. You don't need me. I don't need God. I'm paying lip service to God. I'm believing that there's a God out there somewhere. I even believe in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to follow in the name of Jesus these different principles. But I don't need to actually have a relationship with him. I don't need to make room for prayer or intimacy or invite him into my life. I don't need to follow him on a daily basis. I just follow the principles that are outlined in whatever. And, and everything will be good. And it, it reduces our reading to the Bible as a thing of reading the Bible to find some principles in our life that we should follow. And then there's life from God. And, and this one, we try to make Jesus like us. And this is so common today, right? Where we, we try to turn Jesus into our image. You know? I, so often you hear people go, well, my God would not do something like that. Problem is, it's my God. I've made him up. 
I've made God into my image, decided that God should look like James Colgan, or you've decided that God should look like you. And this, again, is a common thing we do in Christianity and in our churches today. Right? In this, we assign God our personality, our values, and our biases. You know, and in our world, in the Western world, this is primarily driven by consumerism. So our world, our, our country, our, our system is completely predicated on consuming goods that we don't really need. That's the basis of our economy. After the September 11th attacks, George Bush got up and said, look, the terrorists will win if you stop shopping and traveling. If you stop spending, then the terrorists, terrorists will win. Why? Because the entire economic system that we are part of is based on spending, on things that we don't necessarily need. Do you know that advertising that we have today, it only began to exist after the Industrial Revolution when we started producing more goods than we actually needed, and so then we had to come up with a way to convince people that they needed to buy these things. And the advertising industry was formed. But, see, when we live with this life from God, way of thinking mixed with the consumerist life that we live in, then God exists to help us consume. Consume different things. Consume products. Those can be Christian products, Christian books, podcasts, ministries. I mean, how many of us are like consuming, you know, other people's stuff all the time? Right? Not bad. I'm not saying it's bad to read a book. I'm not saying it's bad to listen to a podcast. Not a bad thing. But do we do that at the expense of actually spending time with God ourselves? Right? I can easily live off the revelation of other people and not need to actually have intimacy with God, not to make room for prayer, to be quiet, for being with God in my life, because I'll just listen to someone else that says they've been with God and I can live off what they say. And we come to church for experiences because we haven't actually made room in our life for God on a daily basis. And so we're dependent on, on worship experiences and, and dependent on things. Now, us coming together and these things are important, but they shouldn't be where we get fed. They should be where we're encouraged, built up. We come together, but we should come well-fed to the gathering when we use that term. We should come having spent a week with God where we now come and have and are able to all, all give out of that which we have. This posture is super appealing, you know, this life from God, because it doesn't require any change from us. We just, we, we continue in our consumer lifestyles with the same goals as the rest of the world, and we just add a Sunday meeting or whatever other religious activity to it, because God is there to bless us. He's, God is there to, to help us live our best life now. It doesn't require surrender. It doesn't require change. It just, it's just I've added Jesus to my already existing goals. And, and actually God is there to, to help me. He's helped me to live wealthy and healthy and all these different things. So at the extreme forms of this, you get the prosperity gospel. You know, you, and it, it's amazing because, again, it's just us going, hey, God should look like us. He should have the same values as we have, and, and he's there to help us do whatever it is that we want to do. 
It doesn't require the suppressing of desires. Scary thing is that in Western culture, if we actually did what the scripture said, our economy would collapse. Not saying that we shouldn't do it, but it's, I, I say that, but if we actually suppressed our desires and didn't listen to the advertisers, the entire economy would collapse. Right? And so there's huge incentive for us to actually just follow this consumer form of Christianity. And watch, look, but Chris, how many things do we listen to? Well, hey, here's some Christian merchandise. I, I'm, I, it freaks me out, to be honest with you. Because I, I just can only, I, and I'm, I'm so, you know, I say this, trying to not in any way be judgmental. But when I see that stuff, I, only, I just keep getting the picture of Jesus coming in and turning over the tables of the moneylenders and going, what are we doing? What are we doing? And if you ever find me selling, a, a, you know, Lifehouse t-shirts or, my goodness, putting my picture on something, someone please shake me. Please. Right? But, but somehow we, we think that stuff is great. And I say that, and I think at times we have, right? Like, and what are we buying into? And all these things I've bought into. All these things I'm speaking on here are things that, that I've bought into in my life and in my journey with God, and I'm desperately trying to break out of. There's still one more. Here's the thing with this one, though. I want to focus on it because it's such a prominent one today, is that this, this worldview is completely narcissistic. And it's why we have so much mental health, have so many mental health problems. It's why that there's so much depression and anxiety and fear is because we are telling our children that, you know, and, and it's even worse now because of social media, that we're telling our children that if they don't look the right way, if they don't have the right job, if they don't have, if they're not successful, then somehow they are a failure. And that they failed at life. And that is the devil. And we are putting that forward as somehow some good Christian virtue. And it is a lie. It is a lie. We've got to teach our children and ourselves that the thing that we are going for is a life with God, not a life by the world's standards of success. And we maybe need to really filter what the heck we listen to. Because there's so many things out there to tell you. There's so many Christian messages out there telling you that you know, buy into that God wants you to buy into the world. And they're devoid of life with Jesus. Because we're pulled apart by these messages. We're pulled apart by this idea that somehow we're supposed to attain worldly success and find some way to follow Jesus. And yet Jesus says you can have one master. You can only have one. The interesting thing with this life for God, from God posture is that all it doesn't actually deal with any of our fears. It just distracts us from them. Hey, man, if I, it's going to go, and again, it's like I go to church for a great experience so I can forget about my life for a little bit doesn't give us any ability to deal with and confront and go through the pain of life. It tells us that we are supposed to avoid it. 
But the reality is that God uses the pain and the suffering of our li of life at times to shape us. He doesn't isn't the one that causes it, but he it, I'm not saying that he causes it. What I am saying is that as going through these different things shapes us and molds us and conforms us into his image. We suffer and go through things at times out of our, just and we God do not see those things as negative. There'll be a whole talk we do on this in a couple of months' time. Our focus should not be on blessings. It shouldn't be on what God can do for us. It's got to be about intimacy with Him. Life with Him. And then the last one, and that is life for God. And so and this is the other popular one, right? Where, it's, where we are like, okay, if we've grown up in church, then a real life, the one that we most aspire to is how am I serving God, right? And so this is like, I've got to be a missionary or I need to be a preacher. I've got to be in full-time ministry and then my life will matter and count. How many people have I reached? How many, you know, how many people have I saved? That's what matters. But that's not what matters according to Scripture, you know, and this is, again, it's absolutely, when we start looking, going, well, somehow I've got to change the world, that God's goal for my life is to change the world. It's not. It's not. It never says that. And, and so here, in this thing, we, we put all our emphasis on what we do. And I'm doing this for God, and I'm doing that for God. You know, in, in the story of the prodigal son, you know, the prodigal son, he did the, the one we just talked about, life from God. I'm just going to rebel against my father. I'm going to go and I'm going to live my own life the way I want. I don't have any need of my father. I want to go after the blessings of the world, right? Actually, I'm going to forsake my father. It's like, hey, give me all your blessings, God. You know, this is what the prodigal son says to his father. Hey, God, I want my inheritance from you. I want my blessings from you. And I'm going to go now and leave your house. I'm going to go live the way I want to live. And eventually he comes to his senses and comes back to his father and his father welcomes him and embraces him and brings him back into the house. Jesus was telling that parable about like how we go, right? And that would, that's our society. But then there's in that parable the older brother. And that older brother is sitting there going, and he's really offended. Like, why did the father re-embrace this rebellious son? And he's, he's, you know, he goes to his father and it's like, you know, I've been doing all these things for you. I've served you. I've done this. I've done that. And you haven't given me a celebration. You know, so I'm offended. I'm not coming to the house. And, and in that parable, the father is like, hey, all this was yours. It was at your disposal the whole time. And in this, in this life for God posture, we live like that older brother, always trying to please God by what we do. But not... All, all that father wanted with both his sons was a relationship and intimacy. And all that God wants from you is relationship and intimacy. It's not about what you can do for him. It's about being with him. It's about being with him. You know, when Paul expressed in Scripture his deepest desires for the church, it was not that they would do more for God or transform the world for Christ or for his kingdom, as good and as important as such service may be. Instead, he told believers to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life 
and you should mind your own business. Let's read from Ephesians. And, sorry, I was preparing so quickly I didn't write down the reference. I believe it's Ephesians 4, verses 14 to 19. If it's not, well, read Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, Paul wrote. He said, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Life for God, it puts mission ahead of relationship with God himself. And what it does is it throws fuel on the fire of our idea that we're insignificant and makes us strive for significance by what we do. Our, Our significance in the kingdom is not about what you do. It's not at all. Are you with him? Do you know how wide and how deep his love for you is? Can you express that? If all you get to do, I mean, even listen to my language. It's terrible. This stuff is so inundated in our culture. But if, if, you, if you live a life of intimacy with him, a life where you understand and experience his love, And you get to share that with a few people. That's significant. That is significant. And our building each other up is to build each other up in our faith, to encourage each other in our love for him, to be formed into the image of Jesus, who was satisfied with affecting 12 people, who at the end of his life had had one of those 12 people betray him, another one deny him, Our, our, our goal as followers of Jesus is life with God. If we are going to follow what Jesus did, if we're going to become like Jesus, then we have to put our primary emphasis on intimacy with God. That we would be, and, and with that, allowing God to come in and transform our lives, that we would become more full of joy, more full of peace, more full of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What we do is dirty rags if we aren't filled with those things. Like Paul Paul wrote about love, right? You You can prophesy all these wonderful things. You can even give your body over to the flames. But if you have love, you have nothing. If you don't have love, you have nothing, I mean. 
And, and our love for Jesus isn't, isn't demonstrated by what we do. It's not demonstrated by how wealthy we are. I know I'm trying to fit all this in in a tight time. I'll share a little story. We'll finish. There was a time when I believed, you know, because it's just such a common thing to believe if you live in the society, that if you're if you are getting material blessings, that means God's blessing you. I remember a time at the beginning, the first five years, when I really had no idea what I was doing. And I was helping a friend move into a, a really nice house. And, you know, I didn't have a nice house. And I helped them move in. And uh, they, they made a comment to me. It's like, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, we had these, these mugs that we, aren't, we don't use that I still have in my house today, by the way. And, and they're like, we, these mugs we don't use. And they're like, oh, would you like them? I'm like, sure, I'd love them. And they're like, I'm like okay, oh, they're just on the curb. You know, we put them out for garbage, but pick them from, you, you, you're welcome to take them. And I, and I picked these mugs out of the garbage, got my car, and I just wept. Because I'm like, God, have I failed that badly that I'm picking mugs out of the garbage? And it was such a, a broken view of, of what life is meant to be about and such a broken view of God. And I share that because so often we have these broken views, right? We feel like somehow we're not, if we're not doing the right thing, if we don't have the right money, you know, if we haven't obeyed the right rules, if we're struggling, that somehow God's upset with us, that somehow we are not making it, that we're failing. Not only are we failing in the world, but we're failing God as well. And it's the brokenness of that moment that God wants to be invited into. That he can come and show us what life is truly is, what love truly is. That we're not going for success. Worldly success, Christian success, perfection. These are not the things that our life is about. It's about life with him, a life of love, a life of joy, a life of peace. Living that quiet life. Minding our own business, but living in absolute communion with Jesus. This is the last message that I'll you know give of of this season. And in 2022, I, I'm committed. God's told me He wants me to withdraw and be with Him right now. That's what I'm going to be doing. And that 2022, may that be what marks this community is that we would be withdrawing and being with God. That we would be allowing him to really bring us that true peace and that true joy and that abundant life that comes from him. Not abundant life defined by consumer Western culture, but that abundant life of love, joy, and peace, of living a life surrendered to the one who created us all. May that be the mark of your holiday season. And uh, I pray that the words God gave me for us today have been able to make some type of impact. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much, James. To simplify the word, as we say, cut all the frills, just to back to the basics, right? It's just about the relationship with God, the intimacy with God, and being with God. I really have a point to take away, and I hope you did as well. 
Um, as the word says in John 1:14, it says, and the flesh and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's the season we are rejoicing in saying that Jesus among us and Jesus with us. So I just pray that this day will be a great, great day. Thank you all for joining us. Before you go, I just got three uh, points to just mention. First one, if you have a little one who is already there with the uh, uh, children's uh, group, please make your way and collect them, and you can come back. Uh, we have cookies and uh, coffee just in the corridor, so there's some rules on that. If you are enjoying the company, you can come back here, uh, or you can be within the corridor but not outside because that confuses uh, the other staff members. Also, we, um, we are going to celebrate this week and the coming week, so please be stayed uh, tuned with all the announcements which are happening. So this is not the end of the service, but the celebration of the weeks. We have live groups. We have outreaches. Uh, we have young adults. We have youth. So we can't cover everything, but please follow us and join us. So till we meet again next week, guys, have a blessed week. Amen.